0: Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I, uh, I'm glad to be here tonight to see all of you. It's good to see my friend Dave tonight. I haven't seen him in a while, and I'm glad to see you. I know that every one of us and, and I've no doubt said that this, at this church, I've probably said it at every church I've ever been to, that it's easy to get in a rut. It's so easy to get into a rut. And it's easy to take things for granted. I know that, that everything that's happening in the world right now is a bit confusing. And we don't really know which way to turn or what to do. And we're wondering... Now we've reached a point where we're saying, what's next? You know, what about the time you think it can't get any worse, boom, Monday arrives. And so things just continue. And as far as the religious world is concerned, which we're part of that, they say that the reason the elections last time turned out so badly the last eight years was because during the last election, 54 million evangelicals stayed home, didn't vote, and consequently the elections didn't go the way they wanted them. I I am not an evangelical. The fact of the matter is I'm getting a little bit tired of being lumped in with them. I think there's a difference in being an evangelical and being a Christian, and I'm proud to be a Christian. I, I take great pride in that. I I get asked on occasion. In fact, I was asked today, I met a lady at the hospital and I was talking with her and she said, "Uh, what faith are you? Well, there's only one. So, I mean, how can I be part of any other? But I didn't tell her that. I said, I'm a Christian, period. Another man came to me and he said, "Uh, what kind of preacher are you? I said, I'm a good one. And... I, I understand that, that we've got so many different churches and ideas and ideologies as well that people really are. We've created in the religious world, we've created confusion. We've got all these thousands of churches and none of them like each other. And yet we all say we're striving for the same thing. And we talk about how much we love Jesus But we don't like the guy that lives down the street. And how is it possible, according to John's writings, to love God whom you have never seen and you struggle loving the brother that you see three, four times a week? There's a real problem there. There's a real problem. Since there's only one Spirit and there's only one Lord and one faith and one baptism. How is it that we get confused on these issues? You cannot love God whom you've never seen and not love your brother. It's not possible. If you can, then God has duped us. He tricked us and we're believing a lie. And I I don't think that really in this congregation tonight, there's a lot of folks that will believe a lie. So in the midst of all of this, We've got to find a little sanity somewhere. You, you ever feel like, you know, I, I've just got to find a little sanity. It, it, or has everybody gone crazy? Have you ever thought that? Seriously. You know, is the whole world nuts? What is wrong with these people? People say, we're, every day we hear those sorts. of things. What, what's wrong with them? I mean, my wife probably gets tired of hearing me. I walk through the house ranting to the dogs. Nobody else will listen. And, I'm talk, and, and of course, the dogs don't respond. They just get out of the way when I come by. But I'm thinking, what are they doing? Why would they do that? These are things that you hear every day. You hear people say these things. And it's because we don't know what's going on. And we don't know what to expect. We don't know what the news is going to say when we get home tonight. So in the midst of all of that, the church has the greatest opportunity that it's ever had since Calvary to shine. Now, now, in moments of crisis is when we need the body of Christ to be healthy. We need to be healthy. And the way we are healthy is not because we have every chair full or we've got a lot of money and everybody's got a good job and, and all the retirement pro- programs are going. That's not the way you describe a healthy church. You know, the Bible even talks about that, John wrote and he said, I I would that you be in health. He wants us to be healthy, but he, he doesn't leave that. He doesn't leave an open end there that I want you to be healthy so that we can get up and preach. Everybody's going to get a good job, have a lot of money and be healthy. He says, I would that you be in health and prosper. But I want your prosperity and your health to be conditional. I want you to be in health and prosper even as your soul prospers I want your soul to be healthy I want your soul to prosper I want your spiritual life to be at the top of its game before anything else comes to you I want you to seek me first above all others and if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness then everything else will come to you what we're trying to do in America is build America our way using our own ingenuity and our own ideas. And the carnal mind is enmity to God. And God told, through the writings of Paul, he told told the Galatian church, which was a corrupt church. He said, how is it that you started out in the spirit and you've wound up in the flesh? How, How is it that you did things in the spiritual world but now you're, you've learned to do it on your own. You're, you, it's the work of your hands. You, you've got your own ideas. Jeremiah wrote in the 17th chapter and said, "Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his arm, which his strength. He makes flesh his strength. but blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the water, and he will not be moved." So there there are benefits to this that go beyond our imagination. All we've got to do is get on board. We don't have to furnish any of the resources. We don't have to do anything in particular other than be just what God said I want you to be. And when we put our trust and our faith and our hope in him, everything seems to work out right. Even the good things don't seem as bad as they were. What a great opportunity for the church right now. To shine, I mean, to absolutely shine when I listen to what they're doing and then I think of what we could be doing and what we're not doing. That's what's disturbing. Right here tonight, probably, you, you don't even realize this because it's just, I mean, it's just Wednesday. You know, Wednesday, you can, I remember used to, way back, They even back in the, the, the 60s, they'd say, well, you know, it's it's just Wednesday night, so people dress different on Wednesday night. And now I know you ladies don't do this stuff no more, but back then women would roll their hair, and bobby pins and everything, and put a they they'd put a scarf all the way around it, and that's how they'd go to church on Wednesday night because that was it was just Wednesday night. Now I don't think that their I don't think that their intentions were wrong, so I, I'm not meaning to insinuate that, but. The men would come on Wednesday night, men that you usually saw in a suit, they would come, you know, maybe dressed in just coveralls or whatever, and they wouldn't shave maybe and so on and so forth, you know, because they'd say it was just a Wednesday night or it's just a prayer meeting. Can I tell you that any time that you have the opportunity to patronize the house of God, it's a special day. It's a special day. You don't have no idea because the only thing that you and I know is what we know right now. We have no idea what's going to happen in the next 45 minutes, the next hour. We don't know. So we have to try and do our best to our level best to be in the will of God and do the things that God wants us to so that whatever does happen in the future, we can be prepared for it. I don't know what tomorrow holds. And you've heard this said probably many, many times. But I know who holds tomorrow. So if my relationship with God is intact, if I'm trying to do what is right in the eyes of God, then I really don't have to worry about tomorrow. And Jesus made that clear. He said, take no thought of tomorrow. Don't even worry about it. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about your health. I'm going to take care of you. Whatever your need is, I'll supply it. Wherever you need to be, I'll put you there. Whatever you need to have, I'll make sure that you have it. It's really an unbeatable program. And if God could somehow, maybe tonight, if God could just help us to get a little idea Of how much he loves us tonight. Oh. We sang that song. We used to sing that song. I don't hear it much no more. But we used to sing a song that said. Oh how he loves me. Oh how he loves me. And I I know we take things for granted. But. If we could. If we can get a glimpse tonight. Of how much Jesus Christ really loves. So I went to Calvary. I know that. But how much he really loves you. He has no. Desire whatsoever to see you fail. None. All you have to do is do your part. Just do your part. That's all. Nothing more. Nothing less. I want you to consider this. The human body. I I wrote an article. It's been, I don't even know how many years, probably close to 20 years ago. And I had did some study and I had wrote this little article. This is a clip from it. And it's very interesting it simply says that the human body is comprised of iron, sugar, salt, carbon, iodine, phosphorus, lime, and calcium. The chemical cost of the average human body is about 98 cents. Now, with inflation, it may be a little more. And the size of some of you, you may be worth $1.18 or so. But for, but for the most part, 98 cents. We're so uniquely made. That all of the intellect of science cannot figure the function of the human body. They try, but they cannot. And I'll tell you why they can't. The human body contains 263 bones, 600 muscles, 970 miles of blood vessels, 400 cups on the tongue for taste, 20,000 ear hairs. Sometimes it feels like more when you get older. To tune in to all sounds... 40 pounds of jaw pressure, 10 million nerves and branches located throughout the human body along with 40 miles of sweat tubes, that's 3,500 per square inch of your body that expel perspiration from your body. There are 20 million mouths, little mouths that suck food while it goes through the intestines and there are 600 million air cells to the lungs that inhale 2,400 gallons of air every day, and a telephone system that relates to the brain and instantly any known sound, taste, sight, touch, or smell. it was It's, it's instantly sent there by this little telephone. The heart beats over 100,000 times a day and pumps 2,000 gallons of blood during that time frame. To doubt that that God doesn't exist is lunacy. It's lunacy. The greatest and the most intelligent atheist on the planet cannot explain away even one simple human body and its existence and where it came from and the magnificence. Do you understand what I just read to you? Now, I didn't even touch the hair that God numbers the hair on our head Every single one of us. He knows how many hair are on your head. Some are less than others. And he he numbers them. How? How could God number? How could you number the hair? Look at some of these ladies who have have heads full of hair. How long would it take to even number the hair on one person? If you had everybody that you needed at your disposal, how long would it take to number just the hair on the the head of one person? Yet God has numbered the hair on the head of billions of people. And then he builds this, this body And all the things that it can do and all the things it's capable of. And for one moment, we could doubt the majesty of God. So this plan that that God put together was all put together in eternity. And then it was executed in time. And the reason God's plan was executed in time is because we can't relate to eternity. We don't understand eternity. Not at all. We think we do, but we don't. And this gives a little, just a a little credence to why when Moses said, God, show me your glory. And God said, that's not possible. There's no way you could look at everything that I am and live. Because your human, your human frailty would not survive just being in the presence of everything that I am. So he said, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a mountainside, a rock. I'm going to put you there, and I'm going to let my glory just pass by the backside of it. You're going to get a glimpse of my glory, just a little touch of it, a little taste of it. And when God passed by for days, Moses had to wear a veil over his head because he shone so brightly that people couldn't even look at him. There's some things we will never know. We will never figure out the human body. We can't even explain why we have to live off of oxygen. Is this boring yet? We can't even explain oxygen for the human body. We don't know. But we think we have the answers for everything. That's why God said the greatest knowledge that a man has is foolishness in the eyes of God. That's why he told Isaiah, tell them, Isaiah, that that their ways are not my ways. My ways are above their ways. They're, They're not on my level. They don't have an idea of who I am. They don't even have an understanding of my power. I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him. We're clueless when it comes to God. And yet, the astronomers claim that there are 40 sextillion stars in the universe. I'd like to know how she's explaining that right now. Yeah, she's, she's saying, that's a 40 with 21 zeros after it. They say that If they gave every every star a name, and you see, God did name the stars. In fact, the psalmist wrote and said, God named and numbered every one of the stars. Pleiades and Arctus and Orion, God gave all of those names. Long before we were ever thought of, the astrologers didn't give it that. The astronomers didn't come up with those names. The Bible came up with those names, and the astronomers still use them, and then turn around and say, there's no God. Well, where'd they get those names? So they took Webster's, they took Webster's design and said, well, 500,000 characters in the Webster's Dictionary. We could use that as a kind of as a plumb line and, and we'll get names for every stars and see how many, how many. And they figured it up. And if they did that by using Webster's, Webster would give a three, four, five letter name to every star. They said we could write all the names down and it would take 80 quadrillion books to record the names. That's an AE with 15 zeros after it. So what do I get out of listening to the the, the greatest minds on earth after they tell me all this stuff? I get this. They don't have no idea. Forty sextillion stars, give me a break. And they haven't even discovered all of the universe because they can't see that far. They don't know how far it goes. They don't really know what infinity is. And yet the Bible says that all of this came into being with one breath of God. That God in his infinite majesty simply spoke the word. And when he spoke the word, it just began to appear in space. That's the majesty of God. And having having control over all of this, which is beyond the imagination, is it not? Not. That's why Deuteronomy 29, 29 should be everybody's on your favorite list. That's the scripture that says the secret things belong to the Lord our God and the things which are revealed belong to us. Keep your mouth shut and quit trying to figure out what's God's business and what's not. Because there's some things I'm not supposed to know. I can't tell you why the snowflake is Perfect. Job didn't know either. God asked him all those questions. He said, hey, Job, how about the snowflake? How about the lily? Can you tell me why the lily is perfect? Can you tell me about, about about the alligator? Job, can you tell me about this and tell me about that? And some 30 or 40 questions, and Job sat there silent as a Texas oyster. Why? He didn't have the answers. So when it came time for Job to speak, the only thing he could say was what he knew. Sometimes we just got to live by what we know. And you know what we know? As an apostolic born again church of God, we know that our Redeemer lives. And in the last day, we're going to see him. And though the skin worms destroy this flesh of mine, yet in my flesh I shall see God. This God, robed himself in flesh and came down here where we were and said, I got to do something to save these people. And before he formed us in our mother's womb, he knew us. And he knew every problem we were going to face. He knew everything that was going to happen in our life, be it good or be it bad. And through it all, he was telling us all along the way and he gave us that great big beautiful book, the Bible, to tell us listen, I'll never let you go nowhere alone. And I'll never leave you there by yourself. And no matter how bleak it may look in the the nighttime, joy is coming in the morning. And when the sun comes up, I'll be there with it. And I'll be standing beside you regardless." regardless of what you're experiencing i will never leave you a god that can do all of that create all of the stuff he did and he takes time to be the personal god that sits down beside you sometimes and says don't worry son i got it all taken care of i know it don't look good right now but don't worry keep your eye on the prize because you're only seeing a portion of the puzzle. You only see a small part of the drawing. I got the big picture in mind. I know how this thing's in. That's that's what I like about the Bible. Some people say, well, this, that, and the other. we say, no, no, I read the last chapter of the book. I know how the story ends. Ladies and gentlemen, I tell you something. If you know him in the power of his resurrection, there is a spirit living inside of you that's gonna resurrect you on the return of Jesus Christ. And we're gonna be caught up together with him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord we've got a promise beyond measure we've got a promise beyond imagination we do right here us me it's very personal how do I make that work for me well if you want it to work for you you have to do your part and if you do your part Jay then God is at your disposal But you can't make God lie. Four things that it's impossible. I'm I'm going to be redundant now. Pardon my redundancy. I think it's needful to say this tonight. Redundancy means repetitive. You you repeat yourself. Because I've said this before. There are four things that God cannot do. Number one, the Bible said it's impossible. You ever hear these, especially televangelists, They'll get on there and say, show up at our tent meeting or show up at the Coliseum downtown Atlanta and all this stuff. Come and see the impossible. Well, just between you and me, I don't want to see that impossible. I told I told a preacher one day, I said, you're talking about all this impossible stuff. I said, he said, well, it says with God, all things are possible. I said, all things are possible with God concerning what he can do and what he can't do. All things are possible as far as his being able to heal your body. All things are possible as far as him taking you to heaven. All that is possible. But there are some things that are impossible. So all things are possible but the impossible. Does that make sense? Sounds good anyway, doesn't it? You can go home and say, I don't know what he meant, but boy, that sounded good, didn't it? All things are possible except the impossible. So I have to read in there and find out what the impossible is. First thing that's impossible is you can't sacrifice a bull. You can't sacrifice a ram anymore for atonement of your sins. That's impossible. The second thing that's impossible is that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Woo! We'll get into the meat here directly. I bored you at the beginning. We'll get a little fire going here directly. It's kind of like in the winter. It takes the log a little time to heat up. Without faith, you cannot please God. You say, well... I need more faith. No, you need to use what you got. God ain't gonna give you no more faith. How about that? I'll just quit now and let you go home confused. If you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, that's as small as you can get and still be able to see it. He said, you can speak to the mountain and say, be removed and cast into the sea and it will come to pass. So I know now I don't have to have a lot of faith. But he said, if you don't have any faith, you can't please me. So you got to have a little faith. Well, then how do I know if I have any? Are you here tonight? Well, good. You all qualified. You've got enough faith here tonight to move a mountain. God knows exactly what he's doing and where he's going. He knows. So without faith, you can't please him. You know, there was only one time, Brother Dredzka, that they ever asked God for more faith in the Bible. One time, that's all. One time. They, they wanted to raise a bunch of dead people and, and they, want, they needed more faith to do it. And no, 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 no. They wanted to open some blinded eyes and, and they, they didn't have, no, that wasn't it either. They wanted to heal the, cleanse the leper. If they, could, if they could cleanse that leper, they would get the... No, that wasn't it either. Oh, well, what did they need more faith for if it wasn't to raise the dead and do all this? One day, Jesus said, you got to forgive your brother. And they said, how, how many times we got to forgive him? Seven times, se, seven times, seven, se, se, 70 times seven every day? 490 times every day? Here was their answer, increase our faith. So I'm not asking you, God, to give me more faith so I can do your will. I'm not asking you for more faith so I can raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out a devil, open blind eyes. I'm asking you to give me more faith so I can forgive my brother. What in the name of God is wrong with us? Forgiveness is part. It's part. It's built in to your godly responsibility. You're obligated to forgive. And I know it's easy to sit home and say, well, you know, if they call me up, I put a fleece before God. Well, we like that fleecing business, don't we, when we want something? When everything's going well, we don't fleece God. We only fleece him when we need something. Well, God, I'm going home. God, I know if you want me to go over there and, and make things right with my brother, Lord, you just, when I leave home tonight, let me be driving down the road in six yellow Buffalo run down I-94. I oh, will know that's your will, God, for me to go... Yeah, right. Sometimes I wish God would send six yellow buffalo, run right down I 94 and say, hey, chew on that. Why can't we do what Jesus not only said, but what Jesus did? Peter wrote, and he said, leaving us this example, so should we follow in his steps. He left us the example. How did Jesus forgive when he hung on the cross? The last words out of his mouth was, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. He forgave them from the cross. He forgave them without being asked. He set the example. If you're waiting to be asked to forgive somebody, you waited too long. You forgive them I went to someone years ago and I really I was so wrong oh I was so wrong boy it's hard to say that isn't it you know one guy said I thought I was wrong one time but I was mistaken you know it's, it's, it's hard to get those words out of say, you know we, we, we start and you say brother I just wanted to tell you I was oh he's got stammering lips he's getting spiritual no he can't say wrong I was wrong that's so hard I was wrong. Jesus didn't wait for anybody to ask him. He forgave them because when the spirit's involved, they don't have to be begged or borrowed or beaten to do anything. It just came automatically. It's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible for you to leave God's kingdom, the church on earth, it's impossible for you to leave the kingdom of the church here on earth and turn back to that world and say God doesn't exist. That's what happens to people that get turned over to a reprobate mind. It's impossible for them to come back. That's what the Bible said. They can't come back. There is a line you can cross. I know nowadays folks think you can do anything you want to to God. It's all right. He'll take me back. We found that we, Nowadays we say, well, you know, it's easy to ask forgiveness, to beg forgiveness than it is to ask permission. So we, go, we don't want to ask God for permission to do something we know is wrong. We'd just rather go do it than impose upon God's nature to forgive us after we did it. Like a fellow walked into my office one day and he said, I'm taking a new job down on the coast and I'm going to be moving down there. What's your opinion on that? I said, don't have one. Why are you asking me now? You already done it. Why didn't you come ask me before you did it? Because you knew what I'd say. See, so we impose upon God. Oh, this is too long to do in one night. The last thing that's impossible, it's impossible for God, say it. Lie. Lie. It's impossible for God to lie. So when God sets out something in the book that he wants me to do, and I read down through there, and it says I should do this, and I should do that, and I should do this, and I should do that. And God says, if you do this and that and that, then I'm going to do this, that, and that. We got an agreement there. God says, you do this part, I'm going to do my part. You do your part, I'll do my part. Well, then we get off and we decide we don't want to do our part. So we say, but God, we still want you to do your part. And then we get mad at God. In fact, it came up on television this week during this election about why is God letting all this happen? Like it's God's fault. And this ain't the first time in the garden, God said, Adam, what had you done here? He said, What me is that woman? Now it's God's fault. It was the woman you gave me. You gave me that woman. God, oh, boy, she was that wench. Get away from me. 10 minutes prior to that, is the most beautiful woman on earth. The only one, but. But now, God, it's that woman that you gave me. See how we've been passing the blame and the buck ever since this all got started? We just pass it on. It's your fault, God. That, this is not God's fault that anything is happening. We created the mess we're in here on earth. We did this because we've not done our part. And when we don't do our part, we still expect God to do his part. Yes, God, I wasn't faithful, but can't you just overlook that one time? Can't you just let it go, God? Go ahead and bless me. That's what Saul asked God when he had completely disobeyed God. And Samuel shows up and, and, and he says, well, how's things going, Saul? He said, oh, things going great. I did everything God was supposed to. He said, what's the bleeding of those sheep? I hear it. Why is King Agag standing back there at your fire? What's going on here? You were supposed to kill all that. Why'd you, why is it still around? Because of that, he said, your kingdom's done. So when we say, God, we want you to do all these things for us, we are asking God to lie. You have children? You got children? Yeah, I know you got children. I just have to ask because I don't know. I don't ask him. I know he don't have none. you ever whip your kids? Did you ever threaten them and not whip them? Be honest now, because you're in the church now. There's no monkey shine here, Brother Dredska. Son, you do that one more time. I'm going to tear you up a few minutes later. Son, I done warned you once. I ain't warning you again. What did I tell you a while ago, boy? That's what we do. It's like the fellow said, man, you know, my wife, I had her on her knees this morning. I'm the head of my house. I said, yeah, really? She's on, you had her down on her knees? He said, oh, yeah, she's trying to get me out from under the bed. So that, that's kind of the way we do things with God. We kind of disguise it. We circumvent. So, God, I don't want you to lie. And, in fact, God's not going to lie. So when you say, I'm going down, I want to see the impossible, do you? It's impossible for God to lie. You want to see him lie? Do you, you want to be able to come in here and let's slaughter bulls and rams? You might want to talk that over with Pastor Kylie. I don't think he'd like that job. And the other guys, these assistants, y'all'd have to get in on that. Probably you'd get the dirty jobs because Brother Kylie be giving the orders. <laughs> Would you like to go back to that? No, you wouldn't like to go back to that. Not at all. Do you understand what I'm saying? We want God to do his part, but we don't do ours. How do I do my part? well it starts with one simple statement you just have to show up just show up and if you show up then god will take it from there how important is it for me to show up on a wednesday night how important is it for me to show up on a wednesday night how important is it me to show up at a prayer meeting ah it's just a prayer meeting come on now you know we've thought those things it's just a prayer meeting and sometimes we even look in the bulletin to see who's preaching before we decide if we're going or not. Oh, oh son. Lord, don't send no lightning on that one. So, who's preaching? Yeah, I love to look at people's faces when I say that because you, you can just like a kid got caught in a cookie jar and his face is red. He's got a little little cockeyed grin on his face, you know. And we, we look at the bulletin to see who's preaching before we decide we're going to go to church. That wouldn't hurt, won't hurt to miss tonight. You know, Well, how do I show up? Do you know that every time you come to this building for a meeting like tonight, this is a meeting. Actually, we're not going to church. That's the term we use, and it's an accepted term, but it's, it's not a correct term because you can't go to church. You can go to a building, but the church is in you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. This stuff don't make you shout. But this stuff helps you sleep at night. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So the church is in you. It's in you. So if I, and again, I'm I'm being repetitive here. If, If I take every one of you and move you out there into that field, what have I done? I just moved the church. I moved the church. The building is still here. If all of you leave this church, if you left this building and went somewhere else... They could turn this into Hooters. Who cares? It's a building. It's brick and mortar. That's it. It has a a material real estate value. That's it. You are the church of Jesus Christ. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. God does not live in temples made with hands. He lives in people. And it's people that he loves. So... When you come here, what you are actually doing is coming to a meeting, an assembly. Would everybody agree with that? This is an assembly. We assembled here tonight for what purpose? To worship. Bible study. That's what they say we have tonight, Bible study. We assembled here tonight to worship. So we came for the assembling of ourselves, correct? Any disagreement, any questions at this juncture? How many people stop and do that? See, I'm fair. I don't beat you up and I'll give you a chance to punch back. Of course, you know that's right. We're here for the, we assembled ourselves together for the primary purpose of worship. That's our primary purpose. Now, I go over to Hebrews and I look at Hebrews 10 in verse 25 and it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, But exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. What day? The day of the coming of the Lord. When we got troubles like we got right now. So much more the day. So when I come here, I'm coming here for exhortation. But I'm not only coming to receive exhortation, I'm coming to give exhortation. Now let me hurry. For if, next verse, you can put it up there. It's good that they can see it. Imagine all of this without verses, without chapters. No chapters and verses. Because that that didn't come till till 1,400 years after Jesus Christ had been crucified. All of this was, was put together in the 14th, 15th century. 16th century. So, When all of those chapters and and verses appeared, the letter became chapters and verses. But what this was was a letter from the Apostle Paul and he's writing to the Hebrews and he's talking about assembling ourselves together as the manner of some is. He says, not forsaking. You should not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. For if we do, he's writing on the same subject, same context. For if we sin willfully... After we have received the knowledge of the truth. Son, boy, I tore up Jack tonight. Nobody's got an excuse no more. Monkey died, show's over. For if we sin willfully after that, we've received the knowledge of the truth. What happens to us? Sister Dredska, are you getting this? Look at this. Isn't that beautiful? Paul is telling us that our willful failure to go to the assemblies interferes with the sacrifice for our sins he has made calvary a contingency Whew, that's stronger than garlic isn't it i've been teaching this all over the country and it's amazing what i'm hearing people 25 30 years in the church saying, i, I never never saw that there before i never you know i i, I never I just thought that we should be faithful to church and I, I didn't know that there was so much hinging on this. Go to the next verse. But if you, if you sin willfully because of your forsaking of the assembly, there's no more sacrifice for sins. It's in jeopardy. It's just Wednesday night. Whew, son. Well, we'll start washing our socks and shoes now. But a certain and fearful looking for of judgment. Now he's brought judgment into it. We're still in the same paragraph of judgment and fiery indignation. God isn't happy. Which shall devour the adversaries. We are taking a chance on giving our adversaries power over us because we're losing our power by forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We, we diminish our power and our adversaries can now take power over us. Next verse. Yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. Isn't that good? Man. Then he goes back to refer to Moses. And he says, he that despised Moses' law. God. Brother Carter, do you see what he's tying into all of this? He said, they despise Moses' law. He's talking about what we should be doing. He said, they despised Moses' law and they died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Next verse. How much sorer punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. See y'all next Wednesday. That's just a Wednesday. Where's my tie? it's, just, it's just, a, just a prayer meeting <laughs> get my shoes and socks well honey let's stay home tonight that, you know man I'm right in the middle of survivor and dear God the nights tonight they're going to pass out the awards And tell you, you, you stay here if you want to I'm leaving I'm going down my God did you hear this trodden underfoot the son of God counted the blood of the covenant that he was wherewith he was sanctified we counted it as an unholy thing because of our lackadaisical existence in the house of God Brother Kylie don't know anything about what I'm preaching. In fact, if he was here tonight, he'd probably already have fainted up here on the front row. So don't blame him for this. He didn't send me no text, nothing. Next verse. For we know him that hath said. Now, we're still in the same context. You understand that, don't you? We're still alluding back to that verse, that one verse. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance. Belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again, the Lord shall judge his people. There are only two things in the world that God will not share. First of all, he said, I will not share my glory. And second of all, vengeance belongs to me and no one else. So the next time you enact vengeance on someone, you better be careful. You stole that from God. He is the only one that can exact vengeance. You don't have the right. Well, I'm not speaking to them no more. Bless God, I'll fix them. No, you're fixing you. You're not fixing them. You don't have the right. God did not give us the right to exact vengeance on anybody. Anybody that does it is doing it on their own and they are crucifying the Lord afresh. For all of you that like me, you may not like me after tonight. So who has the authority? Who has the authority to call for an assembly? Anybody want to guess? Preacher maybe? Pastor? Well, of course, he can call for an assembly. So the pastor gets up and says, hey, we're having a prayer meeting on Thursday night. I need all of you to be here. The church really needs something to happen. We need need the touch of God. And 10% of the church shows up. What happened here in Hebrews 10? The preacher just called an assembly. Did he not? He just called an assembly. Did he not? And where were we? I know there are legitimate excuses. You're sick. You're working. Those are legitimate excuses. Seriously. I mean, you don't go out and get a job and say, make sure I'm working on Wednesday night. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. But if you're working, there and, and something comes up, there's emergencies. All of those things. We're not, I'm not discounting any of that. But I can tell you one thing, the Super Bowl's not written under that, under that list of excuses. Whew. That's why I only get to come once a year. We are in a war. It's all hands on deck. We're in trouble. Right now we need God more than we ever needed him. He is our only defense. He is our only hope. If we fail him, we have no hope. He is our strength. God is our tomorrow. God is everything. We've got to have God in our lives. So when you come to church, whether it be a Wednesday, a prayer meeting, are you, who are you coming for? You say, well, I'm coming for me. sure you're coming for you but that's not the only reason you come he said we're coming for exhortation so everybody's coming how do you know that tonight was the night that you are supposed to help somebody else what if tonight was the night that God was choosing you to pray for somebody else to help someone else and you didn't show up this man's laying out in front of the temple in the second chapter of Acts, third chapter of Acts. He comes there every day. Somebody, the Bible said they bring him and lay him there. And sometime when you read scripture, you, you, you gotta let your imagination work a little bit and, and realize it, it wasn't like it is now. We didn't have Medicaid. They didn't have Medicaid. They didn't have welfare checks. They didn't have all that stuff. There was nobody gonna pay their bill. There was nobody gonna feed them. If they didn't get food on their own, they didn't eat. And this guy had nobody to take care of him. Fortunately, he had somebody that would drag him down wherever they got him and drop him off and leave him there. He's crippled, he can't walk. How did he go to the bathroom? I know I think of the weirdest things. I don't know, but I know that he did, he had to. So this guy was not only a beggar and awful dirty, he probably stunk, he smelled he was, he was unclean. But this was his only hope was to sit there and beg that somebody would give him some money. And I can imagine because I remember when I, had, when I was crippled with rheumatoid arthritis. That I would get up in the mornings and I couldn't walk. And, and I couldn't put my clothes on by myself. And I had to depend on other people to help me. And, and it, was, it was debilitating. And I'd lay in the bed sometime. For 19 months I was like that. For 19 months I ran Temperature. And I refused any treatment. I, I never even took an aspirin. I kept thinking, God's going to heal me. God's going to heal me. But I would get up some morning. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want nobody to touch me. My body was deformed. I, I looked awful. I hurt all the time. I didn't want to do anything. Sometimes I wanted the world to go away. And I know that man had to have felt that because he was worse off than I was. But he knew that if he didn't go, he didn't eat. And he had somebody that would take him and leave him. And so they left him. Just like they did every other day. They left him there. What if he had stayed home that morning? What if he just said, I just don't have the energy to go. I'm just too tired. I'm not going. I'll go tomorrow. I'll go next week. But he didn't do that. He went. And as he lay there, two men are coming down the trail. Two men that have been exhausted since Pentecost. They could have said, hey, let's take a day off, John. Let's just go down and sit on the bank and fish and kick back. We could, I know it's the hour of prayer. That's all it was. It wasn't a special service. It wasn't anything like that. It was the hour of prayer. They, they could have said, let's just take, man, we've been going from can to can ever since the day of Pentecost. Let's don't go today. Let's just go fishing. Let's take a little time for us. I'm exhausted. I heard some preachers last year told me they said, they was talking about how, boy, I preached my guts out. You know, I, get, I don't like to hear that kind of stuff. I preached the paint right off the wall. And I, man, you know, going on about all that stuff. Man, I'm terrible. I'm, I'm exhausted. We got to have a couple of days off. And I was sitting there, and here I was last year in February. I preached 13 services in 14 days and drove 1,000 miles and had a minimum of two meetings every day of counseling. And I'm I'm 70 years old. And I thought, he needs a break? You know, the old dude's running around here, you know. And so Peter and John are on their way to the temple being the hour of prayer. Somebody called an assembly. And they're on their way. Oh, man. Listen, when mercy and truth are met together, ah, When mercy, truth walked up to that beggar, mercy kicked into gear and that guy waiting for a handout he's got whatever he's got a cup or a bag or something and he's saying have alms, alms! I need food man I got nothing he stinks nobody wants to get close to him he's nasty and he's holding that bag out and Peter don't have no money he looks at him and the last thing that beggar wanted to hear was what Peter said out of, out of his mouth the first words was silver and gold have I none I don't have any money that wasn't what he wanted to hear but that next statement but what I've got I'll give it to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk do you understand that if every party involved had not have showed up if everybody hadn't done their part there would not have been a miracle so the miracles are not happening like we want them to and we think it's God but it's not God come on folks what do you say tonight we get the handcuff key and let's, let's take the handcuffs off God you want to do that? You want to just turn him loose? Let him go? Say, God, we're not asking you to lie no more. The next time you come into our presence, you'll be welcome here, and you'll be coming because we're doing what we're supposed to, and you're not going to have to beg us to come. God, we're going to come on our own free will. We're going to come because we got a better understanding of why we're here. I'm not coming here to please Kylie. I'm not coming here to please Colonel. I'm coming here to please God. I don't care who else shows up. I don't care who's preaching. I don't care what the service is about. I don't care if it's a Wednesday or Sunday, a Tuesday, or a Thursday. It's an assembly. And I'm not going to forsake that assembly. I'm going to be there. We can make time for everything else. But we can put God on the back burner as easy as that. Want to see a movie? You want to go shopping? Well, you know, I heard a guy, a lady say one day, she told, told her daughter, she said, Well, yeah, I'd like to go, but you know, I've got to work. I've got to work. Daughter kept on saying, Oh, okay. What's bad is she had just told someone else earlier there's no way that I can do anything today because I got to do this job. But you see, all at once you can find time. You can find time. And people will say, well, you know, you really ought to do it, man, because you may never get that opportunity again. This is a big deal. Let me tell you what a big deal is, is if you don't show up here on a particular night and there's somebody in this building that may die within the week, but you've brought something to them that night and you don't even know you're carrying it, but tonight mercy and truth are going to meet together and God's hand is going to reach into a congregation. God's going to do something that night in the life of somebody and you're the one that's holding the key. Your failure to show up completely, completely handcuffs God. So an entrance, the entrance is supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ based on what you do, what you do. Would you stand with me? I went a little over what I anticipated. I apologize. but Wherever we are tonight, whatever situation we're in, I, I know. I know. And, and, you know, even as I preach this right now, as I talk about these things right now. And Dave, I don't know why, but ever since you and I, the first time we ever met, we liked each other. I think we did. You said we did. And every time I I come up here and I'll go over to to UPI, usually I'll go see Chief, maybe we'll go get breakfast or something. i always hunt Dave down or he'll tell Chief, he'll say, Brother East comes, you tell me. Remember that? Every one of you that are here tonight, none of you is where he's at tonight. None of you are where he is so here we are tonight thank God we showed up because I'm going to tell you God showed up God showed up God showed up everything's right here tonight mercy and truth have met together I'm going to ask you right now every single one of you would you reach out right now and say God I want to do something tonight Lord that's, that's long past due I'm going to make the best sacrifice I've ever made in my life here tonight. How much money are you going to give? No, no, it's not about money. We don't want no money. I don't want you to sell nothing. I'm going to ask you to make a sacrifice. Is that asking too much? The Bible talks about making sacrifice. And the sacrifice that I'm going to ask you to make is reasonable. I'm not going to tax you. I'm not going to do something outside out, out of bounds this area all across here this is the altar area right here that means that Abundant Life the corporation owns this building all this furniture pulpit, carpet all the musical instruments everything in this land but Abundant Life does not own this altar they can't You can't own the altar. The altar is owned by God. And it's the only place that you can take those sacrifices. So tonight, you're going to get an opportunity to bring a sacrifice. I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm asking you tonight to present your body a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God. Which is your reasonable service. That's what the Bible said. Present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You came to the assembly. Will you heed the call? God, I got so many problems. I'm hurting and on and on and on that we can find all of this is the best place in the world right now. It's the best place in the world. This is where you can turn when you don't know where else to go. When nobody has the right words, when when nobody seems to have the answer, you can come right here and present your body a living sacrifice. Thank you for coming, Jay. Who else? I tell you, I'll be surprised if there's, a, if there's anybody sitting in their, in their chair in the next five minutes. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's your reasonable service. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ. God, I don't have all the answers. I don't even know the questions. Sometimes I just feel like I'm at my wit's end. I'm at the end of the rope, But I know you're going to help me, God. I know you're going to help me. I know you're going to help me. I love you, Jesus. God, I can't undo anything in the past. I know there's no putting the toothpaste back in the tube. But God, I can begin something here tonight. In the silence of holiness. In the beauty of holiness. In the presence of the eternal God. I can do something here tonight, God. I can make today the first day of the rest of my life. I can approach every problem differently. I can, God, and I will. I will be different. Because I love you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at org.